0: recognizing that sometimes we need to let our children choose to not do something they're uncomfortable with, even if we see it as good, so they can learn the skills of feeling a sensation, the the butterflies in the tummy,
1: express those feelings
0: and then be empowered to actually act out on that. Because, do you know what I mean? If you've never stood up to an adult and said, hey, I don't feel comfortable and, and no, I'm not doing that, when they get approached as a teenager by an older person to do a sexual act at a party, it, it, they've got no framework for that.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Living Fullness podcast. I am sitting here with a new guest on this month's episode. This is going to be a conversation with Paul Ninnes. Paul is the co-founder and managing director of Real Talk Australia. He has a passion for seeing young people find their fulfillment and potential. He has a background in youth ministry and qualifications in both physiotherapy and sexual health and theology. He is a husband and a father and uses his experiences and powerful life story to present a life-changing message to thousands of young people every year. So here to have a conversation about teaching consent. So welcome Paul to the Living Fullness podcast. It's
0: great to be here. I'm excited.
1: Very excited to have you here. I think this has been a long time coming.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we've had to get our calendars in sync and that took a while.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit, Paul, about you. Tell us about you, but also tell us a bit about how you ended up becoming a co-founder for Real Talk.
0: Yeah, look, um, me, I'm a father, first and foremost, a Christian, a practicing Catholic, and a dad of five, and we're expecting one as well, so Mm -hmm. six. Um, oh, beautiful! <laughs> yeah, so, and I, I might sound a little bit sound a little bit nasally today. Uh, my family a couple of weeks ago had COVID, so just uh, still still okay. got a few little coughs and sniffles and things, but all COVID free now. But um, yeah, real talk is a, a ministry that has been going in its current form for about uh, ten years and has really exploded. It was uh, slow beginnings. I remember it took us uh, six months to get our first school booking. And, and, you know, these days we, we can be in half a dozen schools every week at times, you know, so it's, uh, it's exciting to see the growth. Uh, it was founded by uh, myself and Kim Keedy, And yeah, we launched it, yeah, about 10 years ago. And, and whilst it took a little while to take off, we're now the, the biggest sex educator as far as in-person presentations in the country and, and, and even around the world. Um, one of the biggest, as far as numbers go, chastity educators. So we'll do, uh, Oh I don't know we'll probably do between 500 and 600 speaking sessions this year so wow
1: wow that's extraordinary so how did you and Kim like it did was this like a, a- a brainchild of one of you that just kind of exploded out of somewhere, or how did Real Talk sort of come about?
0: Yeah, I think we both had a call on our lives. Kim started the brand Real Talk, and then for a number of years it, it sat relatively dormant. And and uh, I developed a passion on this topic. I, you know, my story is intertwined with the topic of human person, human sexuality, and I think it's through these topics that I experienced a reconversion of. of you know my faith in my adult life. So I developed a passion because in ministry I started to see that not only did human sexuality provide many challenges for young people, but it often provided the key, the 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 lock that needed to be turned to unleash people in uh, in their faith and and to allow them experience intimacy with God. And so, funnily enough, in bringing people to Jesus, I found that the topic of human sexuality was the best avenue in basically right. bringing people to Jesus. And so I thought, Hey, there's something to this. And, and so I started personally experimenting with a few creative ways of presenting the topic, particularly um, presenting theology, of the body. And then Kim and I came together and, and we decided to repackage and relaunch Real Talk. And, and uh, the rest is history. We currently have about 15 staff, about six full-time equivalents. And um, as I said, we, we, we get around Australia and, and New Zealand a little bit as well.
1: Yeah. Which is awesome. And it- I find that a lot of the ministries, particularly in this country, that have started from scratch really do come from those personal stories. It's the person initiating it, having their own personal conversion or having experienced somebody else offering something to them that's so beautiful and tangible that they feel a need to be able to share with others. Is that sort of what's happening or had happened for you and for you and Kim but particularly for you
0: yeah yeah totally look I think we call ourselves real talk and we try to be real and and and, you know a big part of that is just how we present our stories every seminar we do has lots of stories but almost always involves us sharing our own story whether that's a topic of pornography where it's topic of consent where it's God's love or just the topic of human sexual interactions and marriage and life so as we share those stories that's really what captivates the audience like you are the world authority on your story and so it's really hard to question mm. and when someone speaks passionately about a turning point in their life which most our presenters have it really grips the audience and so yeah it's it's why i do this really and and why we do it and all our presenters have amazing stories and they're very diverse and different you know my wife's story is almost completely opposite to mine and yeah we just love getting in front of an audience and and you can hear a pin drop when we're sharing passionately and personally mm. and you know if you want to, if you want to, an audience to listen, it's often the best way. So those conversion stories, those testimonies, just a, a powerful way of bringing the message of of what God has done in our lives to the everyday person. Mm.
1: So I guess then thinking about some of our community who perhaps may not have heard of Real Talk before, what would be some of the topics that you and the team might cover? Because my understanding is that you do a lot of this work for young people, so within schools. Mm -hmm. So what might be some of the topics that would be covered that young people would be exposed to from Real Talk?
0: Yeah, well, we have a bunch of different seminars that have different topics and and titles. The main main one being Love and Life. And we do this in high school, but all the way down through to primary school. And and we present age-appropriate material. So from about year nine up, we start being very real about the topics of sex and marriage. And... Really, the topic, particularly in the last five years, has diversified a lot because as the digital space has taken over, when you talk about love and relationships, you've got to talk about the online space. And so naturally, we talk about things like the sending of nude images, sexting, pornography, consent and respect. We're now a registered organization with the eSafety Commission, so we do a lot of work in that space. But our real heart is because we care about people we care about people's dignity we care about relationships so we've got to be in the online space and speaking into that but it goes all the way down to puberty education and you know our our topics often not what you'd think of if you talk of sex and relationships you know they're foundational topics like human dignity human worth you know being made in god's image sacredness purpose because, you know, we always say that, you know, if there's one thing you take away from a real talk seminar, it's if you get your real value, worth and dignity, then it makes everything else a lot easier. So it's these underpinning topics, sometimes even things like friendship that set people up for healthy, flourishing, you know, sexuality and and, and fulfilling relationships. So, yeah, all those topics, sometimes they're wrapped into one day, but often we do seminars on specific topics such as okay. consent and respect or, or pornography or something like that. Mm.
1: It's a whole. It, it to me, it sounds like a whole integration. It's it's not just a, a a one particular focus that you're an expert in. It's a real integration of sexual health.
0: Yeah, well, I think we've we've had to become like that in some ways. You know, the the, the needs of the community have pushed us in that direction, and even within the church, right. you know, like you know, for me, one of my pet topics is the topic of pornography, and again, that's because of my own experiences. Mm. But, you know, you've only got to sit down with someone and have them share openly and vulnerably with you to see that this crosses over into a lot of places that you wouldn't have thought it would cross over to. So it's, it's the practising Christian community that is impacted by a lot of these challenges. So... Yeah, we represent a lot of things, but really at the heart of our message is, is wanting people to experience a life to the fullness, to live a virtuous, holy life, and and to experience um, all of what God created them for, particularly in relationships. And so we're essentially trying to push them towards a biblical idea of, of what sex and marriage is about. But, but as I said, there's a lot of diversions on the way because of the nature of the digital yeah, media and, and teenage lived experience.
1: Yeah, which I love. Like... Obviously, this podcast sits under Virtue Ministry and that's, that's our whole MO, our MO is just to be able to help people to become who they were truly created to be. Yeah. So every time we hear uh, an aspect of that, you know, somebody else doing that, we get excited. So this is awesome, yeah, awesome God. stuff. So thank you for doing what you do, Paul. I guess to kind of get into the, the crux of the conversation that I'd love to be able to have with you today, which is around the topic of consent, particularly right now, we have a, a very, consent is a very hot topic Hot button topic across Australia mm. right now. So, I'm going to ask the impossible question: How would you define consent for the purpose <laughs> of this conversation?
0: <laughs> yeah, for the purpose of this conversation. Look, we, we try to keep it as simple as we can, but it's permission giving, right? And there's 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 more to it than that, but it's permission giving, and it's it's clear permission giving. It's it's having the capacity to give per- permission, so understanding what you're giving permission for, and it it's something that isn't just about sexual consent. So we talk mainly about sexual mm. consent, but I think we sometimes forget that, that uh, particularly when we're talking about educating young people, like the healthy things that form a person for healthy decision-making and consent, it's not about consent. If if one of my kids takes another kid's toy or iPad or something, then you know that's permission giving and that's consent and that's respect and that's recognizing dignity and the autonomy of the other person. So yeah, look, in simple terms, it's it's permission giving.
1: Mm. I think what you're also covering there is something that I certainly sense from from different people. I sense that when the topic of consent comes up, a lot of people get a bit stressed and a bit anxious. And and rightly so because of the way it's currently being talked about. When we talk about consent, we also couple it with what happens when consent isn't there, which yeah. generally is violence. Mm-hmm some form of violence that's occurred. So naturally it makes people very upset. But what I love about what you guys are doing is that you're actually breaking it down and taking it from an angle of, well, hang on, what is the benefit that we get from consent? Let's not just look at what happens when consent isn't there, which is important, Mm -hmm. but let's look at what happens when consent is. So can you talk to us a little bit about, uh, I'm referencing here in particular around respect Mm -hmm. and where consent fits in with that and why you think you can't really pull those two things apart.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Can't separate them. And, and, and you're right. Look, I think a lot of Christians, Christian parents, Christian educators are scared of this topic, and, and to some degree, rightfully so, because it's it's been very much taken over by people with different worldviews. Often, are uh, uh, sort of in this space, right. and so for that reason, it can be a dangerous topic. And and let me say from the outset, like, this is the beginning of a journey on this topic, like, particularly in Australia, you know, worldwide, we had things like the Me Too movement and um, Teach Us Consent Mm. was a movement that happened in Australia. So, like, in, in the grand scheme of things, we're in the early days of really understanding what this topic means, but it is important for Christian audiences and for Christian educators and parents because it's part of respect. And the way I speak to people is you've got to put consent in its right place. It's super important, but it's not at the top of the tree, right? It's a subcategory of respect. And and so respect is something that is demanded of us when we recognize our dignity and other people's dignity. And for Christians, it's because we're made in the image and likeness of God. So that's the first and foremost thing. And, And we often just get to the topic of consent, but I don't want uh, my team or anyone to forget that consent rightly ordered is a, an ingredient or a component of respect. And we recognize respect because people have dignity. People are good. People are awesome. People de- deserve to be treated like they're the pinnacle of creation, like God's awesome jewel. So, yeah, so respect and consent go together. If you're a respecting person, even in, in a marriage where you might be be one, right, you know, every act should have some level of consent. Now, I think it, it varies and changes as you become more and more one because it's not required to the same, um, explicit degree. But we're navigating an interesting place where it's now enshrined in law in every state and territory of Australia that, right. that it has to be explicit with every sexual act. So we're, we're, we're walking into a, a new space that is that is new from a legal point of view, from from legal precedents, but also from an educational point of view. But yeah, you're you're totally Mm. right. Like it's, it's in some ways it's, it's not about consent. It's about respect, but because it's about respect, you know, we should be talking about consent as well.
1: Absolutely. So I guess then for some of our parents who might be listening and going, oh, well, this just sounds like another, another agenda that the world is trying to put in on our families, on the way that we raise our children, on you know how as a Christian we might live out. Do you think there's any merit to that fear?
0: I, I think there is merit to that fear. And so as, as Christians, we should be careful. We should have our eyes wide open, but we shouldn't be naive to the new challenges of the world. And we also shouldn't be dismissive of the good that can come from secular influences and and hopefully i've articulated that to to cover all bases because you can you can get in trouble for what you say on this topic right but, <laughs> but to break that down you know like I, I have so many stories and memories right when you're out on the road talking to parents and talking to students like i just when i have a conversation like this what happens in in the background of my mind is that remembering faces of real people right and and like i'm remembering the parent who came to me after a talk on pornography and he said hey i homeschooled my family i've got seven boys And it wasn't until they were all adults that they confessed to me that they were all porn addicts, right? And she said to me, I wouldn't have wanted to attend your talk on pornography that you did today because as a mum, a homeschooling mum, I wouldn't have thought it was needed. And now in hindsight, it was needed and I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm confronted with stories like that all the time. And so whilst we hope that our kids wouldn't have premarital sexual experiences, we hope that our kids wouldn't be using pornography and sending nudes, you know the stats on on Christian use of pornography is almost identical to secular use use of pornography. So we need to open our eyes and go, hey, the consent conversation is one for for health. It's one to prevent often negative experiences of health, of of sexuality. And and I know even myself, I've had my eyes open through this topic where I question, am I doing things the right way? And and, and as I said, it's a learning curve. So I would say to you know Christian parents, be open to recognize that maybe we haven't done things well for the the care of our young people and and you know children's rights have have only really been something that have really come to the forefront in the last century and again they don't usurp a parental rights when it comes to particularly education on human sexuality which is kind of what's happening in the in the you know the world at the moment is children's Mm. rights are are Mm. sort of overtaking parental rights and and you know that's at an age where they're minors and they don't have full capacity. But at the same time, there's something we can learn there rather than thinking of, you know, kids just being something where they should be seen but not heard. Actually, we can have really deep, important conversations and teach our kids things to help them as they navigate this difficult space because they're not as protected as they once were, Mm. you know, with the online space and Mm. and what have you.
1: Yeah, not as protected as they once were, but also (laughs) for parents as well. It's a very different environment to what a parent has been brought up in as well. So a completely different experience to have to parent into as well.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, and and look, again, there's, you know, there's two sides to that. Like it's, it's more difficult, I think, right? There's an onslaught of information and concepts that parents are just struggling to keep up with and we, we've created a, a website, Real Talk Parents, to try to Help with that. But also, uh, parents have the information before them now as well. Like, parents can actually find good stuff to help them with their parenting. So, that's the flip side of this is whilst the challenges mm. might be higher, we're more equipped and we're more informed and we're more resourced than ever before as parents. And so, um, that's also exciting, you know?
1: Mm. So, I guess then if I was to let's say you know i'm thinking of perhaps one of our listeners who might be maybe a young parent a new parent very little children mm-hmm. as in young children toddlers you know yep. starting out family mm-hmm. or perhaps maybe there's someone listening who's just never thought to consider going into this space before mm-hmm. where where could a parent start to begin to equip themselves
0: yeah on sexual human sexuality or on consent specifically
1: yeah on consent specifically, yep. as they're thinking about how do I want to parent my children as they're growing mm-hmm. or how do I want to change the way I'm parenting some of my older children.
0: Yeah, great. Look, I think one of the things to consider that that that, you know, in some ways I hadn't considered earlier in my parenting journey is that if we don't allow our children some level of autonomy and some level of recognizing and articulating what they feel, then they're going to struggle to practice and and they're not going to have the scaffolding set up for them when they are faced with a difficult situation, such as a moment of sexual consent. And so what that means is recognizing that sometimes we need to let our children choose to not do something they're uncomfortable with, even if we see it as good, so they can learn the skills of feeling a sensation, the tummy butterflies in the tummy, yeah. e- express those yeah. feelings, and then be empowered to actually act out on that. Because do you know what I mean? If you've never stood up to an adult yeah. and said, "Hey, I don't feel comfortable," and and no, I'm not doing that, when they get approached as a, a teenager by an older person to do a sexual act at a party. They've got no framework for that. And so whilst it can make a Christian Mm. parent uncomfortable to have those conversations, the conversations are simple, right, because they start with, you know, my daughter riding her bike yesterday and me recognising I really want to encourage my child to learn this new skill, but also there's a lesson here for her recognising her feelings and me honouring her in that. It's a difficult space to work out which which times we sort of give them a gentle nudge. But what I do want to impart on all parents is there's got to be times where we let them fail, obviously, but also let them recognise problems in their operating system so that they can articulate to an adult. And, you know, it might be grandma who always says, you know, give me a big kiss and the child doesn't want to. But as parents we say, hey, go give her a kiss. Go on, give her a kiss or you're in Mm -hmm. trouble. That's your grandma. Give her a hug. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But maybe we need to consider the conversation of, Oh look, she doesn't feel comfortable. Are you not feeling comfortable at the moment? Well, well, you know, empowering them to actually make those decisions. As I said, I don't think it's a free for all. It's not that our kids can do anything they want, but what I do know is that I think they need some practice on recognizing that there's they have the the ability to say no to things that they're uncomfortable with.
1: Mm, definitely. And, and and what I'm hearing from you there is that it also starts very young, mm-hmm. because those are conversations that you can have with very young children as they're beginning to interact with the world and with relationships with other people and learning what boundaries they feel comfortable with and boundaries that can shift and change on a day-to-day basis and that that's okay.
0: Totally. It, you know, it starts in the bathtub, recognising that your your person, your body is good, that your sexual parts are good. We give them their appropriate names and we allow kids to be comfortable with it. I see hear so many stories of kids who experience something negative sexually and they've got no language for it. Like literally kids trying to describe that that someone has touched them inappropriately, but they don't know how. So it's affirming the beauty and the dignity of their sexuality. And again, giving them some practice around recognizing the dignity of private parts and why we need to keep our our private parts private, and then moving that into the online space. So I talk to parents about talking to their kids about pornography before their kids ever have access to the internet, which freaks parents out, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, what? My kids have access at five. I'm like, great you need to talk to them about porn before five and you don't have to use the word porn it's just saying hey there are good Mm. pictures there are bad pictures and and allow them to recognize a definition of what is good and what is bad allow them to understand give them some training in understanding what is good and what is bad and then give them some some scaffolding about what to do because it's not if but when they're gonna encounter something that's inappropriate. Yeah. You wanna give them the pathway of, of what they can do and know that they're not in trouble for that, that they've done a good thing, they've done a mm. done a wise thing and that you're really encouraging and affirming of them. Cause uh yeah, I think that's mm. where in past generations we perhaps haven't done the best jobs as parents is is we've probably been a bit naive and it's it's man, it's a steep learning curve in today's digital world, but we need, to, we need to get on that curve pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We kind of can't afford to keep blindfolding ourselves, hoping that it, it isn't going to crop up because you're right. It's there. Yeah, it, There is no hiding from it. Totally. Um, one of the things you also mentioned there is also I'm hearing that the learning isn't only about the scaffolding that is provided in terms of practicalities of what they do, the physical, tangible things that they do. But it's also an emotional learning. Mm. There's a, a, you're encouraging people to actually learn, to teach children to learn what the emotional world looks like and to give them vocabulary mm. and to increase that emotional intelligence yes. by doing so. And I guess even thinking about some of the reactions that we can have when we're faced with something that's unfamiliar Mm and we think about, well, you know, if you see something that's uncomfortable, unfamiliar, and you're immediately faced with it, your body's going to have a response. And it generally, you know, most people know that you'll either freeze or you'll Mm -hmm. fight the response or you'll run away from the response. But also, I think we also need, there needs to be an element of education for our parents too, to recognize that there is also another scope too. And and the scope is fawning, Mm -hmm. but there is, the very real possibility and reality that sometimes children do things because they're trying to please adults Mm -hmm. and that that doesn't then make it okay. It actually means as adults, we need to be able to see through Mm -hmm. and we need to be able to teach our children that there is a difference in that. And how do we do that without doing what you're suggesting, which is that emotional learning?
0: Yeah, totally. And in, in your clinical work, no doubt you've encountered that. And and even as an adult, you know, like I think learning to recognise feelings, then name them, and then, you know, learning the pathway of what to do with it and and so broad. But again, you know, for kids to start to recognise in the online space that, hey, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed by what I'm encountering in the online space to, to yeah. I'm feeling pressured, you know, because pressure can lead to coercion and, and whether that be, in in non-sexual things or sexual things being able to recognize what they're feeling and then articulate it you know a a recognition is the first step and articulation is the second and then you know the 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 steps of what to do after that it it follows so it's um yeah it's super important and Mm -hmm. and for a lot of a lot of people, uh, you know, my age and older, it's just a conversation that's new, you know, and, and again, it's it's some of the things that we can learn from, uh, you know, modern psychology and, and you know, family therapy um, that that we don't have to throw it all out because it comes with a leftist agenda. There, there, there are some really good things there that are applicable that, that can help yeah. us in our everyday lives.
1: So just something you were saying before reminded me of one of the resources you sent through that I watched. You shared a story And I think it might've been the story of a a presenter on your team. Someone had shared it. It was about the young man who walked up the stairs following a, a young girl and another young man who had gone up the stairs at a party and she was quite intoxicated, may have even been unconscious. I'm not certain, but I would love it if you could share that story with our community
0: yeah great. Well, look, a friend of mine who happens to be a podcaster as well, some people might uh, listen to him as well. He often shares the story about um his wife long before he met his wife, how she was at a uh, you know a university party or a college party in America, and how she was intoxicated at this party. and how a gentleman—probably not a gentleman, but a guy—he led her upstairs while mm. she was, you know, unable to function fully and, and consent properly, and led her upstairs and took her into a bedroom, closed the door, and and he shares how another guy then left the party and followed them upstairs into that bedroom as well. But the story takes a bit of a turn then, right? That the other guy removed the first guy took him outside made sure that the girl was safe uh, put her in bed and then he went outside and closed the door and lay down in the corridor and and sort of blocked the door and slept there to sort of protect you know the, the girl inside her dignity her virtue i suppose and um you know he shares just how appreciative he he is of that guy you know who who did something that perhaps changed his future wife's outcomes and and yeah, boy, having journey with so many people who have experienced trauma through, you know, non-consenting sexual actions, you know, like I think the sexual area is where so many lives can take a deviation and a turn and, and it's just, it's brutal when you hear people's stories and, and and that's what motivates me to do the work we do. But I love that story because I, I, I think it empowers and, and encourages people to be upstanders, to not just be bystanders and recognise that consent's a, a topic for us on the receiving end, it's a topic for us on the asking end, but it's also a topic for us on the community end. And there are so many young people and parties and things that people get involved in where you just need one person to make a good, strong, wise decision where they're looking out for, you know, the uh, the, the health and the outcomes of others and it can be life-changing like I believe that story demonstrates. So, um, yeah, I, I love that story because it reminds me of, of where the rubber hits the road on the topic of consent.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess the question I was going to ask for in following up from that story is how do we raise children like that? Because it's so (coughs) countercultural to what's happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. It takes an extraordinary level of bravery Mm -hmm. and courage to be the one person who does the thing that nobody else is doing, but also very nuanced as well. Like for for the young man to think about what he was doing and then choose not to make a scene but to also be on guard Mm -hmm. and to do it in a very sensitive, non-look-at-me kind of manner. Like that's a lot of wisdom like you're talking about there. It was a very wise choice. How do we raise children like that?
0: (laughs) No, it's look, it's tough and, (laughs) you know, I'm not sure I would have done that myself. I'm not sure I would have had eyes for it and that's why sharing these stories are really important because it gives you eyes for those sorts of things. And, and, you know, in real talk, we have presenters who share their stories of non-consenting actions and, and different things. And so by sharing those stories, we allow people to see the clues and the, the, the milestones and the things that are giveaways for an unhealthy situation. And we also help, um, you know, pre-train them. You know for those situations but to answer your question how do we train people i think it's through incremental growth in those areas and through repetition and we're big on this at real talk you know particularly with our male audiences we call our sessions stronger most of the time and we just talk about how our strength of character is a bit like training our strength in our muscles. And I used to be a physiotherapist, right? So I know a little bit about this, but mm. hypertrophy doesn't happen unless you have repetition and usually when it actually hurts in our muscles. So hypertrophy, that's the growth of muscles. Um, so we, we, mm-hmm. we have to teach people that you find yourself in those situations to grow in character. And, and you know, in the context of this podcast, really that's mm-hmm. virtue. Like, like a virtuous perfs person is someone where healthy holy habits have become automatic and that happens through repetition like if you think about a person who just does good all the time like they didn't just wake up like that like they didn't just get born like that like <laughs> they practiced doing good holy actions, so it became automatic so you know i say to people in seminars when someone gets bullied and you step in and you get made fun of for stepping in you've grown your your muscles your character strength and when you're on instagram and there's a picture that you want to click on that you recognize is not good and you swipe away and you unfollow that person you're learning to control the gift of your sexuality and make a gift of it to others rather than using it for your own selfish gain so how do we get young people to that place that they can do a valiant action like that person well, I think it's through incremental choices and those start young and, and uh, allowing our young people to to try and fail and grow uh, in virtue through those, um, you know, laying down those healthy, holy habits in their life. Mm,
1: mm. And I think what you're saying there also the key is at that pain point, right? Mm. It's not just repeating the same good thing because it's comfortable all the time. Yes. It's, it's actually in the spaces where it's not comfortable, where it's hard, totally. where it has the biggest growth opportunity for growth exactly
0: and and that's the point we make in our seminars it's it's so important and and that that happens internally with how we frame the the particular actions we do so we recognize the good in them despite them being hard and then it happens externally when we put ourselves in those situations where we're willing to stand up for what we believe in where we're willing to have that tough conversation and and, you know in in the idea of consent it's it's the it's the person that enters a dating relationship and is brave enough to say hey i want to have a a chat about the boundaries and the lines in our relationship. And I want you to know that, that I'm not going any further than this. And then it's exercising that, you know, my my wife and I often Mm. talk about our um, dating relationship and, and, you know, we just always encourage people to keep open the dialogues around, you know, sexual boundaries. And that means sometimes going, hey, the other night I felt uncomfortable and I felt like we went too far and keeping it in the light, right? Bad stuff happens in the dark. Let's bring it into the light and say, hey, yeah. this is the person I want to be and acknowledge, hey, I fell short or you fell short or together we fell short of what we're striving for. And so, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's exercising that muscle once again in all areas, particularly in our relationship.
1: Yeah yeah how would you suggest for a parent who might be a bit apprehensive you know do you, are there are there some tools or some groups that you could think of where parents of similar mindsets can kind of support each other, encourage each other through thinking about how they might be parenting their children?
0: Yeah. Looking at those early ages, um, nothing springs to mind. Like there's mothers groups, you know, my, my wife goes to to a, a mothers group, you know, of, of like minded women called Mother Effect and, and, you know, things like that. And, and in the online space, I'm, I'm not super well connected in the online space. So I'm sure there are things there. You know, I know there's a lot of good wellness stuff. Again, you have to be discerning and have a good look and, One of the reasons why we started this Real Talk Parents, we've created like a parents membership site is to try to put lots of uh, Mm. links to things. So, you know, maybe even someone listening to this might have an idea for me that we can put in our parents membership site because we we often get bombarded with questions at the end of, say, a parents night where they ask, how do I lock down my kid's (laughs) iPhone? And, you know, how do I talk to my kids about pornography or what have you? And so we've tried to just compile things over the last few years. And and we've now um, put it all together in this little portal for parents so that they've got a place to go for human person, e-safety, relationships and sexuality education, but stuff that's screened that's going to align with the Christian mindset on these topics because I think um, Mm. there are some other ideas that can be easily tied into this that can be unhelpful and they sometimes can be unrecognisable to someone like sometimes our educators in Catholic schools and Christian schools don't recognize that intertwine with some good stuff can be some unhealthy stuff and the first one that springs to mind is the whole idea of bodily autonomy which is really important to recognize that you have a voice and you have a dignity and god made you that way so that you can express your feelings and thoughts and you deserve the the space to do that but taken to its extreme bodily autonomy you know I'm the boss over my my own body is is good at one level but it can introduce some concepts that are actually you know, anti-life and and, and can send people in the wrong direction with with where that goes if you're not careful. Now, I'm not saying that the idea of your own autonomy is anti-life, but it can easily go down a path without recognising it where people think that it is my own body and that's all that matters, whereas Christians have the mindset, no, actually, we're created by God for a purpose and if you want something to function well, you look to the maker's instructions, you know.
1: Yeah. 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 Well said. Well said. So I guess then where can parents, where like how do parents gain access to this membership portal?
0: Yeah. So for us, we've got a website. I'll try to get it right. Maybe I should look it up just to be sure. RealTalkParents.com I believe it is, but I'll just double check. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We only launched it and look, that's for our parents membership site and, but we do parent nights and, and, People can find out about our parent nights through Realtalkaustralia.com. Yeah, that's it, RealtalkParents.com. And so it's a it's a small annual fee where people can get access to all the stuff that we, you know, dump there that can be helpful and and there's little parenting videos. We're releasing videos every two weeks on YouTube. So Real Talk for Parents, which are just little five minute videos. Again, trying to answer those topics that we get asked, you know, how do I talk to my kid about pornography? You know, what do I need to know about social media? You know, how do I develop a family tech agreement? You know, these sorts of things that are are Mm. quite um, practical. So all those videos are on there as well as some deep dive seminars that we've recorded. and, and, And one of the the best links on there is we sort of just have a links page, and that's to outside organisations where there's you know a bunch of resources such as how do you set up parental controls on all the different apps and and social medias that kids use. So we've got a link to where you can find that. You know how are things rated in Australian ratings for movies and apps and games. You know as I said, how do you, how do you set up parental controls on a smartphone on each of the different devices? So. Yeah, we're really proud of that and something we've just launched and, and it's um, something that we provide free to anyone who attends one of our parent nights at schools. It's also free to anyone that uses our online learning lessons that we provide to schools called Real Talk Education. So, um, yeah, mm. parents, feel free to check that out and, and you know, check out. Yeah. You can also subscribe to our, our fortnightly YouTube releases um, so um, they can find that online as well.
1: Awesome. Thank you for that, Paul really appreciate it. I guess maybe as a way of tying off this conversation, this very short conversation that we've had on consent, obviously, there's so much that can be said. Is there some word of encouragement that you would have that you can offer to any parent that might be listening in this day and age?
0: Yeah, there's probably lots I could say. Like the first two things that spring to mind is we've just got to love our kids. And, and I'm, I'm reading a bunch of parenting books at the moment. And we sometimes just forget that, or we don't forget it, but we forget to love them in a way where they receive that love. So love our kids in a way, you know, focused attention, eye contact, quality time, you know, just saying it overtly, because if our kids' love tank is filled up, they'll communicate more effectively with us when things go wrong. And also they just can develop that self-worth from that, that family environment where they feel cared for. The second one I'd say is probably never give up. Like I think as parents, it sometimes feels like we want to disengage when our teenagers hate us or, you know, just grunt at us or something like that. So, you know, just, just to hang in there. And, and you know, the, the research on this shows that parents – are the biggest influence on their kids lives and so we think we're not but we're a bigger influence in social media we're a bigger influence than outside educators and so the conversation you have in the front seat of the car with your partner or someone else in the family that you know teenager in the background is hearing it does influence them it, it we want them to understand what you believe and why you believe it and so yeah hang hang in there when the time's tough Um, you know on consent and these sort of difficult topics the main thing I would say is is have conversations and, and quite simply I say if you don't know what to say say anything again the research is pretty clear that any involvement by a parent is better than none so parents are scared to mention pornography or sexting or or their beliefs on marriage or the topic of consent just say anything and and of course try to do the best you can and and you know following some of the resource trails online will help you with that. In fact, we've got a bunch of free, free resources on consent, so I can give you that link and you can put it in the show notes. You know, so do the best job you can, but don't let sort of this analysis paralysis, this sort of, you know, pain and, and worry about saying the wrong things stop you from having, you know, interactions with your young people. Just, just go there and do your best.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful encouragement. Thank you so much, Paul. I really appreciate this.
0: No worries. It's a pleasure.
1: Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's joined on this particular week's episode with Paul chatting about consent and learning a bit more about real talk. Thank you especially to our Patreon supporters who make this podcast possible each and every week. Join us again next week on the Living Fullness podcast for another episode. But until then, know all our love and prayers.